Thanks for listening to the Family Perspectives podcast, brought to you by the BYU School of Family Life Student Editorial Board. I'm Madeline Sorensen. And I'm Tyler Clancy. And today we'll be interviewing Dr. Melanie Sarau-Hill. Dr. Melanie Sarau-Hill grew up in Hawaii and then moved to Provo to complete her bachelor's degree here at BYU. After graduating with her bachelor's degree in human development, she decided to pursue a master's degree as well as a PhD doing research centered around older adults. Dr. Hill now teaches adult development and aging in the family, which is available for any undergraduate student to take. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sarau Hill. We're so grateful you could join us, and I'm excited to have this great conversation with you today. Yeah, I'm excited too. So, Dr. S- Dr. Hill, you are a cougar through and through. You've completed all of your many degrees right here at BYU, but your story started thousands of miles from here in, and, and, and I, I wrote down this pronunciation, but Aie, Hawaii. Uh, can you take us through a little bit about your career, your life's journey, and the unique path that you took to get here with us today? Yeah, um, it's a, it's a long one. It's it starts from a long time ago. So I was born and raised in Aiea, um, Hawaii, which is on the island of Oahu. Um, and I was born to you know my my mom is a convert. Uh, she was baptized in college in Long Beach, California, and then my dad. Well, she's from Hawaii, but she went to college out there and got baptized out there. And my dad, um, got active before going on his mission. Um, and he went on his mission late. So it's really interesting that we I ended up here at BYU because they are not BYU <laughs> grads. Um, but my siblings, and so I'm the baby of the family, and in like true baby fashion, I like worship my older siblings. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and so they it's a four year gap, a, a nine year gap, and an eleven year gap. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, so I'm quite a bit younger from most of them, and uh, they all went to BYU. Two of them, my two oldest went to Provo, came here, and then my other one that's closer in age to me, he went to BYU Hawaii. Um, and so I just always, BYU was was it. That was the school. The destination. Was, everybody else went, <laughs> so why not me? Um, I did go to a program in my junior year. It's called SOAR. I don't know if you've heard of it. Some of some of you guys might have heard of it. It's it's like EFY. Okay. But it's for it's catered to multicultural uh, students. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and so um, it's here in Provo. You stay in the dorms for a week. Uh, BYU puts it on. Um, the Multicultural Student Services put it on here on campus. Uh, we learn about each other's cultures. We um, do do different cultural talent shows. We also do spiritual things. We do activities just like EFY would. And it also acts as an ACT prep course. So you actually like wow. give classes to ACT. And it's all to cater to these underprivileged um groups to help them succeed right um and so it was great i came up for that in my junior year and i fell in love with byu um i fell in love with the people that were uh, supporting me helping me through the multicultural student services and then i got accepted and so i came up here in 2011 for my undergrad um and it's really funny because i feel like a lot of times when i talk to people it's like i knew like they know. They know what they want to do, at least in college. Right. Um, at least some idea. They have that, that vision. Yeah, they have some idea, at least. Mm-hmm. And I had zero idea. <laughs> like, li- literally none. 
um, somehow I stumbled onto some SFL classes, you know, Larry Nelson and uh, Dr. Jason Carroll. And how do you not fall in love <laughs> with the SFL major when you take classes from people like that? And I took their classes. I liked it. I became a human development major. I declared. Um, I liked it. Then I thought maybe, but what, what do you do with that major? So I thought maybe fax ed, because that had a clearer path of what to do. Uh, took a sewing class, sucked at sewing, <laughs> sucked at sewing. It was so bad. I was so bad at sewing. Um, realized that wasn't for me, and so I settled on kind of this family studies track. At least that was was what it was back then. Um, and then in my junior year, you know, my my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, mm. and that kind of changed a lot. It changed a lot. Um, I was really close being um, Hawaiian, Japanese, and Chinese descent. Um, we are very close with the older adult population. Yeah, this intergenerational ties yeah. is so is so strong in our cultures. And so my grandparents played this really big role in my life. Um, and so learning about my grandpa getting Alzheimer's disease, being diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease was um, difficult for me. And so I took this class called adult development and aging with Dr. Jeremy Jorgensen in my junior year because I wanted to learn more about my grandpa. Um, little did I know that I was actually gonna fall in love with the older adult population more <laughs> than I already was in love right. with the older adult population. Um, and I learned more about, it was interesting because I learned more about my grandma in that situation because I learned about what later life looks like, right, for these um, older adults. And um, I declared as a gerontology minor, so that kind of got me into that. I did certain things that um, helped cultivate that desire to learn more about the older adult population, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I thought, oh, maybe I'll mm -hmm. work in like a long-term care facility. Right. That seemed like a good one, um, but I still didn't know. So it's kind of, it's still interesting because now I'm a junior, senior. Where by then you really hope people know what they want to do. <laughs> um, and I still was like, can I? <laughs> um, but I've, do they still have the SFL Academy? I think so. So somehow I stumbled upon a flyer that said there's this SFL Academy. You can take these grad courses and do research with this these professors. And I was like, sure, why not? So I applied, somehow got accepted into that program, took some grad courses. Now everyone in there is like, I'm gonna go to grad school because it's like grad school prep, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like introducing myself and I'm like, I have no idea what I wanna do. And uh, I thought maybe grad school. And I honestly applied for grad school because I wasn't really sure what else to do. Um, not always the best reason, but I just didn't know. I just wanted to have options. So I applied, Dr. Jeremy Jorgensen took a chance on me. I think about that almost every day. Oh, and that was for the master's program? For my master's program. Um, and I started my master's program with him. Um, and still, even then, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, so at some point, you're kind of thinking, like, well, now she has to know. You know, like, she's <laughs> going to get a master's degree. Um, and I think a lot of it's, like, with the, with the cultural background of I didn't even know I didn't have a lot of people in my life who had master's degrees mm -hmm. or P I don't know anybody who has a PhD degree, PhD degree. And um, so everything was new to me. If you, I talk to my parents now and they say like, 
my mom will always be like, why? The goal was to get you to college. Like the right. goal was to get get a bachelor's degree. That's what we got. And that was great that we could get you there. That's what we wanted. And I thank them all the time for instilling that in me. Um, I didn't know what was after that. There was It was just different. Um, so I learned in my master's program, people, what are they going to do? Get their PhD. Right? And I'm like, out of, uh, this is going to, I hate saying this out loud because it makes me sound, it's just as hard to say out loud. I didn't even know what a PhD was. Wow. Like, very honestly, mm-hmm. my, my peers would talk about it all the time. Um, and I would just listen without wanting to say anything for fear that I would be judged for not knowing what a PhD is, fear that my parents would be judged for not teaching me what a PhD is. Um, and I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. And so I did a lot of Googling, um, talked to my husband. Uh, I learned what a PhD was. And then, you know, in my second year of my master's program, which that's the last year. <laughs> so it's not like in the middle. No, <laughs> right. literally in my last year of my master's program, I... Um, said, okay, you know, I got to figure out what to do next. Um, I applied for some jobs. I started looking around. I applied to a couple grad programs, PhD programs, not even sure what that was going to lead to. Um, all I knew was that I had, a, I wanted to start a family. I was ready for that. Um, my husband had a great job. And so things would have to fit into those goals. Whatever was going to happen needed to fit into the goals. That right. I had. Okay. Um, and I don't get a lot of spiritual impressions. Like I'm not one of those people that mm-hmm. has the burning brush. <laughs> I don't get those. <laughs> but um, I got a distinct impression that I needed to get home to serve my people. Get home to Hawaii. In, back home to Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was weird. And I thought, okay, so I need to get home. I need to get home. Um, I need to serve my people. And for some reason, that correlated with getting my PhD because that would open up avenues for me to do that. And that's not saying that someone needs a PhD to serve because that's in no way the case. Absolutely, you're, you're, for- that's you. You're, you're serving right now, right? As an undergrad, and that's your goal. And to, um, but for you, you felt like that was your that was my calling, way, your role. my way of being able to serve. And a lot of that would have been to be that role model too. Not necessarily necessarily being like, you go get a PhD, just saying you can do whatever you want to do. You can do it, you know, and and, um, and there have been a lot of help along that way. Uh, but that made me decide to get my PhD. It still had to fit within the mold of, of my goals of wanting to start a family and my husband having a good job. So that's why BYU um, was the best fit for me personally. Um, and so that it's, I just jumped into BYU and I never would have, I never, when people are like, what was your dream? Like, was you, you right. always planned to be a PhD? I'm like, no, I didn't even know what a PhD was until like four years ago, <laughs> five years ago, you know? Um, but dreams adapt and they change, uh, passions evolve. And it's the life that I have is kind of like, I don't know what got me here. Just a lot of little steps. <laughs> a lot of little steps. I yes. love that. Yes. Well, first of all, before we go any further, I want to say thank you for being authentic with us here on the podcast and being vulnerable. Um, I think it's really uh, sacred when someone shares their experiences about um, culture and diversity. Yeah. And I think also, too, you, you're bringing up uh, gaps in... in um, in our higher education system, you know, you were in your master's program and thinking, man, I, 
I don't even know what a, a PhD is. Yeah. And so I think it's pretty amazing too to hear you um, for our listeners out there who maybe are going through college and you're thinking, I don't even know what I'm going to do. You're telling us that, hey, that's okay. Yeah. You know, taking that step. But that's, I think, the, the critical factor uh, of your journey was you said, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this next step. Um, but I love that. And I, I think one of the biggest treasures of life is diversity. And I'm hoping today that you can share a little bit with us about how your unique background contributes to your scholarship, your research focus, and as you kind of alluded to, the mission of your life, if you want. Um, I also heard through the grapevine that you have a pretty amazing business and passion that you work on when you're not teaching. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners and kind of the inspiration behind it? Yeah, you know, that's that's really funny. I don't know what grapevine you're on, <laughs> but um, that's great. I do have this really small, small lay business um, and I love it. So I started it um, five, maybe five years ago now in the middle of my master's program as if I wasn't busy enough. Right. But, um, I was just I think I was just feeling really homesick, um, really wanting to connect to my culture more. Um, and I started this lay business. It's called Lay Kupuna, um, and Kupuna, and you're gonna see how my culture and my love for the older adult population mixed together. So Kupuna in Hawaiian means ancestor or grandparent, um, and not just grandparent, like blood grandparent. I mean communal grandparent, right? Um, Interesting. Yeah, we this this deep respect for the older adult population. It's real, like. And it's not just because you're my blood. It's because I have a respect for the older adult population in general. You know, I'm going to take care of all kupuna, not just the one that are directly related to me. And um, so I come from a long line of laymakers. Um, my great grandma, my full Hawaiian uh, great grandma Hattie, uh, she made lays down at the airport. She sold. Uh, she has a cousin who also sold up there. Uh, my dad used to work for her um he would always he always told me 25 cents a lay like that's how much he would work he's like you know wow. I used to work so I'm like I'll pay you that if you want to keep wow. making lay. um and there was him and then I learned from my grandma my full Japanese grandma who also made lays and she's the one who taught me how to make a lot of the lays I would pick flowers with her after school in elementary school and we would make lays from her flowers in her backyard um my popo taught me my the person who taught me how to make we call him a haku it's kind of like a flower crown Okay. But in a more traditional Hawaiian sense, but it goes around your um head. We call them lepo or haku. Um, my full Samoan auntie, who's not my blooded related auntie, Communal. but she's my auntie. Um, she taught me how to make that. And so when I say I come from a long line of laymakers, I don't just mean the people related to me by blood. I mean my kupuna. And so I named Lake Kupuna after them because I wanted to honor them. I wanted to feel closer to them. And honestly, uh, every time I just made one, I just made a, a haku the other day. And with every flower I leave, with every leaf I add, I can feel my kupuna with me. And it's such a sacred experience for me. Um, it's a way that I get to feel close to those who have passed um, those who are still with us, but far across the island mm -hmm. from me. Um, and it's a way for me to share that part of me with um, people here. 
And it's been cool because I have done lays for both people I know, people from Hawaii, people who have connections to Hawaii, and people I have no, I've never met before. They stage said they Googled <laughs> wow. Lay in on Facebook or something or like Instagram, Lay Utah. And my name pops up and I've been a part of weddings that way. And like, I feel so honored that people, that's scary. Like it's scary to be a part of someone's big day right. in that way. I'm like, You're, my lay is in every picture. No pressure. No, but... I know it's scary. <laughs> it's so scary. I'm like, I don't know how wedding photographers do it, mm-hmm. but like, I just, I've gotten to be a part of so many people's memories, and I just feel very humbled that they trust me with that. That's really amazing how you shared that, uh, you know, physically, and uh, I don't know if spiritual is the right word, but yeah. Um, yeah. you know, through this through this passion, you're able to blend so much of your life mm-hmm. into something that you're doing. Yeah. And I want to go take that just a little bit further. Um, when you talk about in your in your graduate program and, and early on in the SFL Academy, you fell in love with our older adult population. Yeah. And the you talked about your love for your kapuna mm-hmm. and not just your blood relatives, but as a community, as a whole, as the people who are um, experienced in life and have lived through challenges and paved the way for many of us to live the life we live. I would love to hear a little bit more too about how you weave um, that love and, and that personal um, ethos that you have into your scholarship and into the class that which you now teach, which is, um, is it is it uh, adult development, adult and development aging. and aging. Uh-huh. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So blending, um, you know, I think it's actually really, that's important to have, right? Like at least one of the most consistent reviews that I get from my students is just how passionate I am about the subject. And I think that's important as an educator. And I don't just mean like as a professor teaching, I mean like anyone who's trying to teach anything right to somebody you can tell when someone cares a lot you can tell when it's their life when they mean it when they're not just teaching it to teach it but they're they actually apply it in their own life and they live it they live that way um and so that's when i think of my class i actually try to just make sure i'm living those things that i'm teaching all the time um and i and i will say it is easier for me with the topic that I study, especially because um, when I took that adult development and aging class, it wasn't just like, oh, all of a sudden I had this big love for it. It was deep inside me, I think innate because of my cultural background. Um, And I already had that love. It was learning more. It was learning. It wasn't just that I had love now. I had tools and I had the vocabulary that other people were using to talk about the older adult population that maybe the Hawaiian and the Asian cultures already manifested, but they weren't using synonymous words to describe the same function. Um, And so I just um, grew in that love. And I think as I've lived that more in my life, and even as, as I was explaining Le Kupuna, that intersectionality, like it wasn't just like, oh, my culture, and that's it. It was my culture and my love for older adults. You know, and being able to combine that um, has enriched my life and then sharing that with my students and just trying to be as 
authentic as possible. I think authenticity is a lot of the answer to a lot of our concerns about people. Mm. When we're kind of like iffy about people or what, what they're saying to us, people who are authentic, who are just trying to be their best selves, and doing that in all aspects, not picking and choosing when I want to do that. Like, I'm going to teach you about this topic. But I'm, yeah, but I'm going to teach about this topic. But actually, in my real life, I'm not actually going to call my grandparents. <laughs> or I'm not actually going to, like, right. like, do my family history. Or I'm not actually going to. And I'm not saying everything has to be perfect in that way. Sure. But just applying it. Like, actually trying to apply it. Um, I think my students would pick up really quickly if I didn't actually care. If I wasn't actually trying. I think that's so interesting. And I 100% agree with you. And I think we've all been in, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a class or maybe just a presentation where someone you're like, this person really does, they're clocking in and clocking out. And they, yeah. you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but right. this is not, this is not their passion. Yeah. What would you say to students or any of our listeners who listen to your story and hearing your passion for older adults, Kapuna, and, and they're saying, Dr. Hill, I'm trying to figure out my passion. Yeah. And that's something I, it's a common refrain. I think we evolve here is I'm trying to find my passion. And, and you talked about, you said, I think it was always there. And it was, it was being exposed to these different environments that kind of like awaken that in me. Yeah. But do you have any advice or, or really just thoughts on finding someone's passion or passions? Yeah. Um, be patient. Mm. And recognize, this was a big one for me, and I've, I've said this to a few, uh, to my students before, but passion can grow. I believe that. Um, I don't know the scholarly literature that might back <laughs> that up, so that's a, according to Dr. Hale thing. Right. But um, I think a lot of times we think about passion, and I think we think about it in our school of family life majors. We think about it in marital relationships sure. or dating relationships. Mm-hmm. And we think like passion, it's either there or it's not there. Like you had to, <laughs> It's a switch. Yes, yes. It's infatuation, right? It's either there or it's not there. Um, and I think in terms of life, that's not necessarily true. You can grow passion. And I know that because I've seen it in my own life of gerontology, the study of aging, where I've always had it. And yeah, I had to be awakened. But so when I went into my master's program, um, so funny story is I did not want to study with Dr. Jeremy Jorgensen. He was not my first choice. Hmm. Um, I looked at other people uh, and I think a big part of it was I didn't want to be confined to being the aging girl, the girl who studies aging, the girl who likes old people. And that's your lane. And, and that's that... my lane because I didn't even know if that was my lane yet. Mm-hmm. I liked them, but was I passionate? And was that I going to commit? My... Yeah. Was that the thing that I wanted for the rest of my life to do? <laughs> I don't know, you know? And so... Um, somehow it ended up working out that I got, I got to work with him. Like I said, I thank God every day for that happening. Um, but what it taught me was that passion really can grow step by step as you do more things, um, to go to cultivate it. Um, if you want it and maybe, maybe you don't want it and that's okay too, but you can find things to love through different ways. And, and that might mean, that might mean like, um, I love older adults, right? Um, and I love this aspect of older adults. I'm still figuring out this aspect of older adults and later life that I'm not quite sure about. I'm kind of iffy about, but then you work on those other things that you do love. 
right? And, and that's a way that it can help cultivate and grow a passion. And so I think for those that are trying to figure it out, be patient with it, uh, give it a shot, a real shot, um, different avenues, figure out those different avenues. You don't have to commit right away, um, but don't think that it's like you're going to know. Some people will be like that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sure. not. The slight switch, light switch you're talking about, <laughs> you know? But I don't think that that's everybody. Not so everybody. so what I'm hearing uh, is take a chance. Be okay. <laughs> be okay with not finding your passion. Yeah. Taking, going down a road and saying, eh, this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, one thing I think that was really interesting is someone gave me advice that they said, you know, your passion is what you love, but passion can also be what uh, motivates you or drives you to end something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you see something on the news or you're reading a book yeah. about an issue and it and it kind of brings that that passion, there you go. There's some, there's some passion. And kind of yeah. on that note, um, what are some of the issues uh, that you see that are facing our older adults in America today? Um, maybe that you could bring more awareness to our audience um, as we go out in our lives and trying to be more aware of maybe uh, older adults' needs. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good one. Um, I'm sure there's, it's broad. There could be broad. many. There yeah, could be many. There, I'm sure there are many. Um, two that I've thought a lot about recently. Um, the first, I don't think, I can't not bring it up as an Asian American myself. Uh, in the past year, there's been a lot of um, racial injustices and unrest for racial minorities. Um, and I just taught this in my class like the other day, but it is life and death for some people. It is real. Um, and especially with the current uh, uh, anti-Asian hate crimes that are currently going on in our society across the country, um, there are older adults that are at a, a really high risk. I can't even watch the videos. I don't know if you've seen some of the videos. I personally, I have watched them. And every time I watch them, I shake. Mm-hmm. It affects everything in me. And all I do is I think, I thank God that my grandparents are dead already, that most of them are dead already. And that's a sad thing to think about, but I don't want them to live in a world like that, where I would be in constant fear for their life. You know? Or I think that the one grandparent I still have alive, my full Japanese grandma, is in Hawaii, where it's a little different. She's a little more safe, I think. But I still worry for her going out. I think of my mom, half Japanese, half Chinese, going out, coming to Utah. I will never let her go out by herself. I will make my white husband take her to the grocery store from now on. Um, And not saying things have happened in Utah, but it's scary. Mm -hmm. It is a scary time Mm -hmm. for older adults in America, especially Asian um, older adults right now. Um, and so that's that's one. And, and one thing that I think needs to be, it deserves space in every conversation you're having, but also to be aware, mm-hmm. um, to stand up for them, to speak of them, to pray for them, and then to physically be there for them with everything that's going on. Um, the second thing on a little more uh, bigger scale for all older adults is just the, the classic 
aging stereotypes, mm. right? It's it's so amazing because even with all the things that older adults do, they they're still they go strong aging stereotypes. Everybody has them because they know somebody who fits to the stereotype that is in their mind, right? Um, and it's really interesting because with the COVID pandemic, I think a lot of us, a lot of people thought like, oh, the older adults are going to be the ones that are hurting the most. And yeah, it is affecting older adults at worse rates. Um, and that's scary, but actually what research is showing is that older adults are proving to be really resilient. They show lower levels of anxiety than our age group um, in this pandemic right now. And so it kind of goes completely against what we suspect, what aging stereotypes, what our stereotypes and our would tell us. Would tell us. Um, but that's what we're seeing is that this group of people are still very resilient in the face of trial um, and things like that. And I think that it's an issue and that doesn't, and even though they're doing well, that doesn't mean that it's not an issue that we need to be aware of, of that aging stereotypes that we have them. Right. So, so really it's, um, if we want to, if we want to be better, mm -hmm. if, if our listeners are listening to this and they're thinking, mm, you know, I could do better. Yeah. And I think we all can. Yeah. It's yeah. a process for everyone. Yeah. I think what you're saying is recognize those blind spots that you have. Mm -hmm. Recognize the intersectionality of mm -hmm. maybe not just aging adults, but Asian adults uh, who are a member of the Asian American Pacific Islander mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. And looking for those blind spots and standing up and being a voice for our vulnerable brothers and sisters. Yeah. But at the same time, too, you're saying, but also recognize the strengths. Yeah. Also recognize those uh, aspects of resiliency and um, the amazing positive things too, right, right. and kind of that going hand in yeah, hand yeah, and being to be a good person. Weak. Definitely, right? like you're weak, you're vulnerable. We call them a vulnerable population, and then like thanks. So. <laughs> yeah, and you know, gender, uh, gender uh, stereotypes. All stereotypes are hurtful to the individual, right? No matter who and where the stereotype is, and on what group it's hurtful. It can actually be harmful to those individuals. And we need to stop it. Definitely. And, and, uh, and we're in a time where we have seen quite literally physical harm due to stereotypes, whether that's due to COVID-19 yeah. or other factors as well yeah. that have, have permeated and, and caused pain to our, um, to our, our communities. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if someone was hearing this right now and they're like, man, I, I, I really want to, uh, engage more with this, mm -hmm. where would, where would they start? Um, is there any advice that you could give our listeners on how to be a more loving and engaged, um, granddaughter, grandson, uh, you know, more, just more loving and engaged with our older adults in these challenging times. And even in these unique times with the COVID-19 pandemic, do you have any thoughts on, on maybe some action items that we could do to be better um, to our aging or uh, older adults? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is, and it's easy, this is an easy thing to just start where you're at, right? You all, I mean, barring some of us don't have as many grandparents anymore, but you, everybody knows an older adult 
like I don't think you can go through like your parents uh that's a big one of not I think challenging that idea of oh an aging person an older adult is someone who's 80 and older right that there goes my there's my, my stereo right, right. That's there's my, my, yeah. it's my grandparent it only affects my grandparents mm -hmm. middle life four years old 50 year old 60 year old they're dealing with their own set of challenges that are associated with aging stereotypes right um starting there so your parents are a good place to start um being aware of where they are at um i i think about this a lot with looking at the context because a lot of times we think like oh well they would tell us if something was wrong they would tell us if they needed help mom dad grandma grandpa why didn't you just say you needed my help to do this you know if you told me i would have been happy to do it and that's true that is true and that's great um not everybody is going to be able to voice those things you know and you yourself have probably not been able to voice those things before at some point in your life um so being aware of the context of people's lives so dad just retired dad how's retirement going that's a context that's a that's a context clue that maybe something's associated with retirement a loss of identity from work are you feeling like you're looking for the next project like what are you what do you feel like is your next step how are you doing with that um grandma just became a widow grandma how are you, call call in you know it's those contexts um that can lead to depression so be aware of that uh what's what's another easy divorce your parents might be going through a divorce which we see is increasing among older adults that's a good reason to check in there are always contexts that they don't always have to be negative like death or a divorce um retirement's not a negative yeah grandparenthood maybe your <laughs> sister is asking your mom to babysit all the time and your mom seems really tired hey mom how you doing How's, how how are you loving grandparenthood? Are you kind of tired sometimes? <laughs> you know, it's just, those are things that you think grandparenthood is always so great, but it can also be very taxing, depending on how much involvement there is. And so maybe custodial grandparenting, where a grandparent is taking in some children, that's a very big risk factor, and that's scary, and you want to be aware of it. So, like, if you want to start now, start to be aware of what is happening in your parents' lives, in your grandparents' lives, in the older adults' lives that are around you. And that's a good indication of where you can start on helping instead of just thinking, well, if they were really hurting, they would come to me. That's not really the case. That's rarely the case. So being proactive, mm -hmm. you be the, the creator or the initiator of saying, I'm not just gonna wait um, for that call because yeah. the call might never come is what you're saying. Yeah. So I'm gonna be proactive. I'm gonna be the initiator and I'm going to pick up the phone or I'm going to drive over and I'm just going to take 30 minutes or an hour, hour of my day and sit down and just say, hey, how is how's the situation? How, how are you? Yeah. And, and just being engaged. And I think that's it's kind of silly of me to ask, like, how can we be better? And you're saying, well, do it. Do the work. <laughs> I know. It's, 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 and I understand it's not as easy. I mean, like I, don't, I have young children. It's not it's not always easy um, to do those types of things but but it's not a rubik's cube either you know it's right it's not it's not that hard even if you're calling once a week or once every other week or those little texts to your parents you're probably talking to them already um the little things for older adults 
are going to go a long, a long, long way. I love that. Go the go the extra mile. Yeah. Well, there's there's your challenge if you're listening is be proactive, be the initiator. Go the go the extra mile or even the the extra quarter mile or whatever <laughs> whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, right. And and I like what you said too is start where you are. Yeah. Don't feel like oh I I have to make up for all these years or I wasn't the best. Start where you are. Okay. And and that's that's amazing. Um I want to know and if you're if you're comfortable answering this, yeah. has your life changed throughout your studies of gerontology? What preconceived notions or biases did you maybe challenge throughout your learning and growing process? And I know that, you know, you said your childhood was very positive towards older adults. Uh-huh. But, you know, even in your studies, was there anything that you had to challenge or, or work out that maybe our listeners could could learn from? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a hard one because like I was saying before, I didn't really have a lot of those stereotypes because of my cultural upbringing. Um, they were respected. Mm-hmm. They were so involved in our lives that I didn't hold those biases, you know, but what I have learned from learning about the aging population, and I, I say aging, aging, that's not smart of me to say because we're all aging (laughs) so i mean the older adult population um i learned how to love better Hmm. and how to love more um i realized that even though i didn't have those preconceived notions about older adults a lot of people do um my students and we always start this conversation we talk about these stereotypes that everyone holds you know um and a lot of people had that. And as I worked through kind of gaining more love for the older population, even though I already had so much love for them, I learned how to love more of Christ's children, if that makes sense. Um, I by, by loving so much, and I think that other people can do this too, finding out what you love, what's the thing that you love most, um, learning how to apply that love to other parts of this world. Um, for example, I, uh, so I'm a little bit more of an extrovert and I used to have a really hard time with people who are shy. Not a hard time, like I still love them, but I didn't, didn't understand, yeah. I didn't understand them. I think we clicked, I would try to be like that person, <laughs> but like, I just didn't understand why. It, to me, and especially from my Hawaiian culture, if someone didn't say hi, I was like, that's rude. You're being rude, you know? And the way that I learned how to, I learned about them. And then actually I study, my thesis and my dissertation is on shy and introverted older adults. Wow. So I went from this extreme of like not understanding them, thinking they were rude to loving them with all my heart and understanding them by studying them. Um, It was, I applied it to older adults. I applied shyness and introversion and withdrawal to older the older adult population because I knew I loved them. And that helped me transfer that love to another population. So you did not shy away from I don't I don't even want to go as far as say a bias, but um, you know, you you really leaned into the challenge that you felt. So I think that's a lesson for our listeners is when you, 
address one of these preconceived notions or biases or stereotypes that you might have, it doesn't necessarily have to be about older adults. Right. Um, but what you're saying is take that head on yeah. and challenge yourself and say, you know what? I'm actually going to learn. I'm going to dig deeper. I think Brene Brown says um, when you're having trouble loving someone, move in. And I think that's what yeah. you just described there. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a population I didn't understand and I wanted to love them more. And so I knew that I loved older adults and that I had that love to give and I could give it as I learned more. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think it's such a great reminder that wherever we are, we can start now and try to do better. And I love that. So, but as we wind down our discussion today, this has really been great, but I want to know if you have any advice that you'd like to share with our listeners. What's something that you wish you could tell your 20, 22 year old self as you were finding your way in the world and making your way through school? Yeah, it's a really, really hard one. I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> great advice out there. And so in no way is my, is my advice universal <laughs> or the end all be all. But uh, one thing is, uh, I have two things. One in relation to school, um, something that I've, as I look back on my life, the things that I, there's a lot of like, I, I don't know how that happened. It just kind of happened. And I know that doesn't help anybody because you're like, great, that's not good advice. Like things just <laughs> that happened. That didn't happen to me. Yeah, was... yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's not great advice. But but I as I think about why those things happen, to as much as you can, as much as your mental load allows, as much as your mental health and physical health allows, um, try everything. To I think about my path and not being afraid to do those things that are often scary and really uncomfortable. Um, when I went up to Dr. Yerguson because I wanted to do research and I was willing to do it for free, I went up to him. I just even him, can I just do free research? You know, as this little like junior, and he was like, "Oh, I'll pay you." What? Okay, so I got a job, you know, or like, and then he asked me to be his TA because he trusted me. And then I went to this career fair and someone was like, oh, you could intern at this assisted living facility. And I was like, okay, so I went in and they were like, yeah, you could do this. And I was like, but I kind of need a job because otherwise I'd be giving up other things. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm like, okay, well, at least I tried, left. He called me the next day, this person quit do you want this job? And I'm saying like things just happen to work out, but it's that step. It's the step that things can't just work out if you're not trying those You're steps. sitting on your couch. Yes. Like things aren't just going to happen. Sometimes they are. And those are really lucky people. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, that, that would be great. If you can get that to happen, awesome for you. More power to you. You, yes. don't, you don't need to listen to the yeah, life of us. Forget everything <laughs> I just said. But um, like those steps, it was all, I wanted to, Dr. Erickson asked me if I wanted to teach. And I was like, okay. And in my, second semester of my first year of my master's program they let me teach an aging class as a master's student like that was the scariest semester of my life like scary like you think that you are scared and then you're thrown into a room full of 30 people who are just a few years younger than you like thinking you know things and you barely know anything <laughs> and so I said yes and then he asked me if I wanted to be a keynote speaker at a because he, he had to do something else at a Utah County caregiving conference. And I said, yes, you know, and it just led to these next steps 
all these next steps. Um, and I say that, but like, I recognize that that's not going to be for everybody, that mental health, physical health, abilities, they're not going to be the same for everybody. It's like circumstances. And that's not going to be for everybody. So as much as you can try to put yourself in those situations, um, for good things to happen. I love that. I love that. And thank you so much for sharing that with us and, and being so vulnerable to have the humility to say, hey, you know what? I just put myself out there. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Woody Allen that said like 80% of success in life is from just showing up. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you did is you said, you know what? I don't know the end of this chapter, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to ask this professor if I can do research. Yeah. I'm going to drive over to this uh, assisted care facility and ask for a job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to say yes when the opportunity comes. So for our listeners out there, get off the couch. If, if you're, once you're ready, you're recharged, you're ready to go. And just start putting yourselves in position to have good luck, to have that good luck find you. And I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And obviously, there's all different uh, abilities and challenges that we all face. But recharge and and find that find that zone where you can say, okay, I'm ready to put myself out there. So what a motivating way to end this podcast. I'm, I'm really, really grateful that we were able to have this conversation today. Uh, for our listeners, if you want links to some of uh, Dr. Hill's work and the classes she teaches, we have that information posted in the podcast notes. Um, Dr. Hill, this has been an inspiring conversation to say the least. I know I've gained uh, something, uh, many things <laughs> from this conversation. I hope our listeners have too. Um, thank you for your time and your your spirit and your dedication that you share with us. And I uh, hope we can talk again in the future. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to know more about Dr. Hill or her research, those links will be in the show notes. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for us, please email us at byusflpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we hope you enjoyed the show.